Well, hello, I'm glad you've come back for some more. This is Lou Gerlach from Think Chat and welcome to Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I am so excited that you have decided to come back for another episode. Um, this is exciting times, my friends, exciting times. Um, now we're going to be looking at confession number 89, which is still part of our application series, which is designing an environment for play. Now let's continue on with this theme about learning space design and how it impacts play. From, but we're gonna do it in a unique way. We're gonna look at it from the organizational standpoint. What makes your space so special? So think about that special spot in your room that we we were, you know, meandering about in episode um, 88. What are some special things and tools you use in that space to inspire play? So when I'm thinking about my home, I'm going to give you a little black background here. Um, there's lots of little spots. But where I go to be inspired, <laughs> I call it my inspiration room. I know, uh, so unique, right? But it's true. When I walk through those doors, I'm inspired to create. Everything is so beautifully organized. And as a type A person, I need drawers and tubs and cabinets and shelves. Because if it's all a free-for-all, I will not go in there. I'll be like, mm-mm, bye-bye. Um, and, uh, you know, that's like a typical garage. And for me to function, I need it to be clearly labeled and organized and in baggies and all that good stuff. Imagine that. So when you look around my walls, you're going to see a lot of comic art. You're going to see things. Uh, Seth Green from Family Guy, who I met at Comic-Con. You're going to see hand-drawn um geometric art from a friend of mine called Jonathan Winters in Houston. Um, you're going to see, though, um, local street art of uh, 1960s Bond girls and that sort of thing. I'm just obsessed with everything vintage. But my favorite, favorite bar none, are a combination of printed and hand-drawn sketches from one of my favorite classic comic bar, book artist. His name is Des Taylor. If you have not checked him out, it's D-E-S. Um, last name is T-A-Y-L-O-R. His company name is Des Pop, D-E-S-P-O-P. -P. You need to check him out. He's got a gallery in Las Vegas. He goes to every Comic-Con worldwide. He goes to San Diego. Um, all the biggies he does. And I happened to meet him in Dubai at the Middle East uh, Film and Comic-Con. And I just fangirl, you know, I just fangirled on him, his art, his artistry. We connected via Facebook. Um, and then I started to learn about his family, his two girls, his wife, who's amazing uh, baker, and this whole like plethora of understanding also the comic book world. Yes, I'm a little dorkish. And that really takes up a huge portion of my room. And I did not really get into comic book art until I went to, ironically, the Middle East. And I have other pieces of Superman and Wonder Woman with 
in traditional Arab clothing. I mean, it's fascinating to me. Um, but when I go into this room, it's not just the comic book art that draws to me. I actually have art that um, comes in the form of art that I had in my childhood bedroom. I have a calendar I made for my mother of photos of my life. Um, I have a Banksy uh, canvas um, that he did on for Billie Holiday. But some of my pieces that just speak to my heart are two uh, records, uh, jackets that have been framed. And they're childhood records that I used to listen to on loop every day after school that my dad just knew entranced me. And they were children's stories. And one of them was Horton Hatches an Egg. Just fascinated. And, you know, they've got 70s art logo. Oh, just speaks to my heart. And they're on my walls. And why does that matter? Because it matters. How you curate a learning environment speaks to the learner in, do they feel comfortable there? Do they feel at home there? Does it represent who they are as an artist, as a creator, as an innovator? Because that matters. If it represents you as a teacher only, then they're not going to feel the spark. They're not going to innovate. They're not going to want to create as much as you want to create. Think about that. And that's largely drives play, right? You're going to be tinkering with materials. And how are those materials organized so students feel comfortable manipulating the materials, right? It's one thing to have the materials nicely organized in your play space. And then you say, don't you dare touch them all. I used to be that way. Don't touch that paint. Don't touch that glitter. Don't touch those googly eyes. Uh, googly eyes are, you know, a dollar for a packet of 50. You know, it's not like they're very expensive. Granted, granted, they were expensive when I lived abroad. So I did ration a lot when I couldn't get things like I could in America, right? Um, the local stuff. Um, but you're going to find glitter everywhere. And it's cheap, cheap, cheap. And what I'm saying to you is this, is that everything, how a space is organized drives your creativity. It just does. And it's going to spark whether students participate or not. And in my space, I don't just have artwork. I have tchotchkes. I'm sorry, I'm a tchotchke girl. But they're, they're symbols of different parts of my life. I have artifacts from different cultures around the world. A tray from Nepal. You know, I have, um, ironically, I have an incense, an oud burner from Dubai. But then I, next to it, I also have ceramic uh, strawberry shortcake statues from my mother, right? But I also have a, a cross-stitch little sampler that a student I taught, um, she learned how to cross-stitch for Genius Hour. And she turned that as an opportunity to make me a gift with my name, cross-stitched. Less. Those are things that matter, that make you feel loved, right? That make you feel at home. And it just resonates with me. Even my tools resonate with me. And they resonate and connect with my mother, 
when I was a child, my mother was um, in charge of uh, a lot of programming for young women, did a lot of crafty things. That was the 80s. And I just remember her being so crafty when I was a child. And imagine being a crafty person myself, inheriting her things. I remember as a child being obsessed. One day I was going to be grown enough, grown enough to wield the pinking shears. And if you don't know what pinking shears are, is you cut them through fabric and they make little kind of triangles so that the fabric doesn't fray. And my mother used to always say, when you get grown enough, you'll be able to use my pinking shears. And I have them in a drawer. They're not as sharp anymore, but I still have them because guess what? They've got my mother's handwritten name on them. Treasure. I'll never get rid of them. But I have my own copy of, or a pair of uh, pinking shears that I use, but not those. But then I also have my um, materials organized where I have all my sewing notions together. And if you don't know what a notion is, get a notion. No, a notion is like um, thread and buttons and zippers and all the things you need in order to sew. And then I have all my paper crafts. So that's for making cards and, and um, you know, and scrapbooking and all of that. I have all that in one place. And the reason why that matters is because you don't want to be going through zippers when you're trying to find double-sided sticky tape, right? And that's the same for our learners. How is your, that space you're designing, how is it purpose built? How are like materials near, near each other so that the students, and I'm thinking even of pre-KK learners, how are they self-sufficient? Where they know where to go, they know that it's available for their use, they're not going to get lectured because they've been taught and trained how to use the materials appropriately. That's how we build learner independence. That's also the importance of play because it builds towards learner independence. So, you know, thinking about that, here's your application challenge. When looking around in your home space or the learning space that you want to design, consider asking these questions and what do you have in the space? And what are some suggestions of things that you can add to it to make it more enriching? Really, it comes down to how does that learning space make you feel? Does it make you feel good? Does it inspire? Does it invite inspiration, right? Does the physical layout and the decor driven by inspiration? Is it driven by learner input? Are the materials organized so beautifully for ease, not for you, but for your littles, for your young ones, for your older ones? Are similar materials placed near each other for easy retrieval? There's no hunting going on. Because when hunting goes on, frustration builds for you, for your learners, and time is wasted. And then the inspiration is gone. And how are the work surfaces created for multiple usages? So I can never say that. Most, multiple usage. Sorry. Not uses. That sounds like a sausage. Sorry. I digress. So, you know, we have a lot of spaces, countertops, whatever. 
How are we using them so that students can reuse them in multiple ways? Well, we're not cluttering them with things, but leaving them kind of open for reuse. So just like my inspiration room, our learning spaces should be places that excite, invite, and provoke. So that is your challenge. How are you going to make that happen, my friends? More for you and more for your learners. So this should get your mind racing with lots of new ideas. Remember, it's time to have fun, to apply what you already know, and to share with your learning community. Go to Twitter, go to ThinkChat2020, um, hashtag me, go hashtag me the same on LinkedIn, on Insta. Heck, even do it on Twitter, on uh, TikTok. I'm trying to get more TikToky. All right. I can't wait to see your ideas and to learn from you. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.